knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. All right, guys. Well, we're finally back. I know that we're a day late, but these are the things that happen, especially when there's success in the woods. Hunting first, podcast second. Just the way that these cookies crumble. So this is your boy, East Coast Trev, with my good buddy, Mr. Madman Mardick. Yeah, I'm here. Okay, good. Glad. Still pulling prickers on my ass, but I'm here. I don't know why you would be doing that, buddy. Well, you know, she got she got a little wild, but we're good. We you survived. Know, it's one of those things. I mean, like if I just opened up hunt stand and did things properly, then we probably wouldn't have had any problems. But you know, I didn't mm. do that, so that's how this this goes. I mean, I did, but you, you did? know, we won't talk about that. Oh, but you did. It's all good. It was fun. We I, got some laughs out of it. You know, what's funny is it if you really think about it. If if I was to go, if we went too far right. If we went to go left, like where we were tracking down on the back of the pond and we came up that way, it would have been way easier, I think. But that's my opinion. I was thinking about this one. Yeah. The old woulda, coulda, shoulda club, you know? Bro, I used to see my, my arm gold, and my knees from member. plowing through that. That was just, it was ruthless, bro. I'm telling you. So anyways, yesterday, things got a little crazy in Western. I, I went in on this buck that I've been chasing here and I, you know what's crazy is I've been thinking a lot about that deer. I, I really want to kill that deer. Man. I don't know why. I've never, I've never had an attraction to something that I've never seen before. Like just knowing like what it is. But anyways, so anyways, so I went in there, and uh, right before last light, dude, things just kind of got a little havoc. I ended up shooting one. Marduk was coming to meet me, and because uh, we were gonna do the intro for the podcast, I had some gear from from Latitude, and we were just like. It was going to be good. Well, I ended up shooting a deer. We went in there, tracked it. It was just a nightmare. But anyways, we got it. We got it out. And now we're back on track. And it is what it is. There's meat in the freezer and the, the monkey's off the old back, dude. I appreciate you coming and help me out, even though we had to walk through Narnia to get back to the truck. But <laughs> <laughs> No, nah, it was worth it, dude. I love. I, I would live for that shit. You know what I mean? And i i'm just glad i was there and i'm glad it worked out the way it did because at one time we were talking about you know maybe i'll come up you know if if you were to shoot one right. i'll just come up i'll help you get it out or record the intro and then i thought about it i was like i'm just heading your way no matter what if you shoot one mm-hmm. we'll deal with it if you don't we'll record the intro and then you ended up shooting one we dealt with it and didn't record the intro but it all, it all worked out. yeah it, it it totally did and it was crazy because like i don't know it was just wild, and it was nice to just get get the monkey off the old back because it was kind of funny, and I'll talk about this for a minute because so there was a piece of public, and I now moved, so it was the closest piece of public track to me, and I didn't have much time to scout. These guys all know work and all the things that are going on, no excuses, but I just decided that I was going to go hunt. We all talked about all this stuff, so I went in there and found a bunch of scrapes and you know good mature buck habitat from where i was you know gonna chase this this buck well every night that i would go in there i'd see five does 
but they would be like 50 yards off from where I was. And then they're 50 yards off, 50 yards off. Well, I went in there and they were close enough. So I just shot one and then <laughs> just <laughs> all havoc broke loose. But it was good. We had a lot of fun last night going through the ditches, falling on my ass, and just living it up. It was it was a blast. It really was. It was all good, dude. But, That's what it's all about. Yeah. Do you have any killer's corners this week, buddy? I do. I know I we're got... going to kind of pedal through this intro so we can get this podcast up and out and going because uh, we're a little bit behind. Oh, way behind. Uh, Kent Lewis with a buck. And I got Frank Fellows with his very first deer. So congratulations. That was super cool. Congratulations. Yeah. So That's congrats to you guys. Make sure you guys get on over to the podcast uh, Facebook page over there, the Outdoor Drive. That's the Outdoor Drive family, we call that. That's where you can post up and be part of the Killer's Corner every single week. So go and check those guys out. Um, give us a you know follow on there and just kind of chime in what's going on throughout the season rut reports so on and so forth we always ask crazy questions like what are you going to do with your ground venison but uh we appreciate it there. <laughs> basic basic white girl stuff basic white girl stuff so uh let's get to the sponsors huntworth gear huntworthgear.com you know the best some of the greatest products right now there is a sale going on there's a link that we posted on our uh facebook and on our instagram and you can also use the promo code hnt20ct to get an extra 20 percent. so you're actually getting 70 percent off on those uh latitude latitude you, hold on a sec. you know I, you know what i was thinking about the other day a product from huntworth that we don't talk about that has been the mvp of the season so far what's that is the winstead jacket yes the rain jacket the rain jacket I'm a big Shelton hoodie guy, but that Winstead jacket has been putting in work this season. Yeah, with all the rain, dude. It's just constant rain. But, no, I'm, I'm a Shelton hoodie guy. I'm sorry. For Shelton sure. hoodie for sure. Uh, Latitude Outdoors, LatitudeOutdoors.com. If you guys haven't gone over there, make sure to use the promo code OUTDOORDRIVE to save yourself 20% on that. And there is still the uh, rope upgrade one if you guys are getting 10 millimeter ropes from those guys. Um, there is a bunch of sticks and platforms back in stock. The things are going. We just got our... Uh, carbon sticks. So we're going to be testing those out. We'll be talking to you about those soon here coming up. Uh, Nor'easter Game Calls, nor'eastergamecalls.com. If you guys haven't gone and checked out the grunt tubes over there, it is almost rot. These are the best grunt tubes on the market. I can't stress it enough. If you don't have one in your pack, you probably shouldn't even go into the woods. That's my personal opinion. I take two just in case because you just that's what you do because um, trev happens well exactly trez bloopers that's just the way of the world um bowhunters united bowhuntersunited.com if you guys that is they are the advocate for us archery hunters it is a free sign up on there at bowhuntersunited.com and uh that's it guys if you guys haven't gone over to any of our social media platforms and follow over there or on itunes or spotify wherever you guys do that give us a five-star review uh we'd greatly appreciate it so that's it man you got anything else before we close this out and get on over to kyle with chasing the big northeast slam no i got nothing i know it's been Where a quiet you? week we're just trying to get <laughs> this should have came out yesterday but i'm just... looking forward to this weekend it's gonna be warm though man i know heat wave time wise it's like, be careful what you wish Moon-wise. for, right? It's like rain, 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 rain. It's like, stop raining. So it stops raining out to 80 degrees. Mm-hmm. It's like, 
can I get a little cold front? Like, what, what's up? It's coming, dude. Just let the rain, what, let the weekend go by, and it's going to be good. It's going to be down in the 30s next week. So, well, sure. let's turn it on over to Kyle, man. Let's get on with the podcast. Do it. We're back on the phone with Bentall. What's up, man? How are you? I mean, wow. No, Kyle Bentall. See, I can't even get anything right here, man. I'm sorry. Bentall. Right? Bentall. No, I screwed up again. Honestly, most people in high school and college called me Bentall anyways. They didn't call me Kyle. See, I knew your nickname and you didn't even know that I knew your nickname, right? Like that's reality of it, right? Must have been in the stars. The stars just aligned. (laughs) Yep. The the moon phase told me. Ah, The moon phase. So, Kyle, what's up, man? How are you? Good. Just uh, got back from a hunt, so I was, uh, was a little late, so that's why I moved it from 7 to 7.30. I apologize. Oh, dude, it's all good. It's it's nice. I got out of work a little bit later than, than usual. We're waiting on weather and stuff, so it's all good, man. It, it all worked out. You've been grinding, grinding. You know, for us, hunting comes first, podcast comes second. It's always, you know, that's just the way oh, it goes, so we just... When you're hunting, you're hunting, man. If you killed a deer, we would have, you know, we just would have done this on Sunday. It's just the way that it goes. It is what it is. Well, man, let's get this thing underway. Why don't you, well, let's turn the key. We'll put this thing straight in four-wheel drive. Why don't you tell everybody who you are, where you're from, and a little bit about what you do, Kyle. Sure. So my name is Kyle Bentall. Um, I live in southern New Hampshire. So if you've ever heard of the Brookline cutting barn, that kind of thing, I live in Brookline. Um, anytime I say that people are like, Oh, there's massive deer in Brookline, but it's not really the case. A lot of them come from like Mason or Hollis. So it's kind of funny when people talk about all that sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, I didn't grow up in hunting. Um, my parents are from England. I basically started hunting when I was 17 or 18, did like one season, never saw anything, killed like a fork horn. Um, and then I came home from college and a church mission that I went on. Um, and then I just started grinding. So 2020 was my first season in new England. Um, and I harvested five deer with my bow. Um, and then I went to college in Idaho for two years. So I got a mule deer and two white tails over 120 inches with a bow from the ground. And then back to this year that I've, got two more Pope and Young's down so far. So, so let's, let's talk about this for a second too, because you, you, you've kind of, you, you struck the nail right on the head, man. What, what got you into hunting? Like what was the drive to get yourself into hunting and how did you formulate like to get yourself into hunting? Because obviously like not growing up in it, me and Steve have both come from families that are hardcore outdoorsmen and like hunting and fishing and whatever the case may be. Like it was a lifestyle for us. So like how did, where did the page turn for you, for you to be in the outdoors? Yeah. So, I mean, growing up in Southern New Hampshire, I mean, I was always outdoors. That's just always the way I was raised. Like I always had like a little bow, but that was more just like shooting in the backyard. My dad doesn't hunt. So we didn't know what we were doing. I never really went out hunting. Um, It was mostly just like screwing around with myself. Fishing, I'd say was my first 
love. So that kind of transitioned me into it. I did like guiding bass fishing. I started the high school bass fishing team in my hometown. Um, got like scholarship money for that. And that's kind of like what started my passion into hunting. Um, but I had a really good mentor named Larry Rankin. Um, he was one of the VP of sales of Ray Marina fishing sonars. Mm -hmm. And then he was the VP of um, Boyd Duckett fishing. And he's a huge hunter and he kind of mentored me along with um, a guy down the street that I know. And um, I just grew up seeing all the mounts on his wall and that kind of, I just always was fascinated and never did it myself until I was older. And my parents were kind of like, oh, we don't want you going out with a gun or a bow on your own. So I just, I, I always wanted to, I just didn't when I was younger. So, and then you went to school in Idaho and then you were able to even hunt out West. Yeah, so I actually killed both of those deer with my buddy Chase's bow tech. So it wasn't my own bow either, which is kind of funny. So, yeah, I just uh, did a lot of e-scouting with Onyx and knock a lot of doors. So, Well, so when you were in Idaho, like, and you're saying e-scouting or e-scouting back home, are you talking about? Like Onyx, like. Yeah, but um, did you hear like northeast or was it Idaho where you were doing a lot of the e-scouting? Both. Okay. Um, when I when I was out there, just where I was at the time. So like here, I e scouted when I was here in 2020, and then when I was out there, I e scouted all the time after college classes or whatever. So my question to this, right? So like guys that are e scouting, and like myself, right? Like e scouting really wasn't a huge thing when we were kids and we were growing up. We were just woodsmen, right? That like you would go in the woods and you kind of would see where the paths go or whatever the case may be, and you just kind of rummage through the woods, right? So being a newer hunter in 2020 or whatever, and you're e scouting, like and you're probably listening to podcasts or, you know, or watching YouTube videos or you're listening to or watching hunting shows and guys would talk about, you know, topographical maps and stuff. Like, how did you take that all in and like start to understand like not being and stepping in the woods and not knowing some of that stuff and being a newer hunter and then turning that into e-scouting? Yeah, so I kind of started... I want to say that I kind of grew up in the same way that people that did hunt, um, like in the fact that I knew woodsmanship, like I'm an Eagle scout. Like I always was outside. Like I understand sign. I understand rape, uh, rubs and scrapes. Like I understand those things, but I just wasn't hunting. So I was okay. tracking deer. I was looking, I was finding sheds when I was 16. Like I was still like looking for antlers and stuff, but I wasn't necessarily a hunter you just didn't so, carry a bow but you were you were a hunter exactly. without a bow and arrow more or less a hundred percent so like that's that's the way i grew up i was always in the woods right so that's kind of the difference is like when i started e-scouting it took some time but i never listened to podcasts that wasn't really a thing when i grew up either um and then i didn't watch a lot of like people that were like hunting like the uh lee and or, tiffany yeah. or seek one like I watched that stuff for entertainment, but when I wanted to learn, I would watch people like Jacob Schmidt, which probably nobody knows about, but he did like topography maps and like showed you how to look at different things. Like he would do videos, but it's just his voice and he would show you on a map. That's one of the biggest things I would learn. And then I got into John Eberhardt stuff and became really good friends with him um, over email. And then we started to call back and forth and, kind of built my relationship with him and got into scent lock and 
kind of got down that rabbit hole of understanding the wind thermals um, and bedding areas. And then that kind of just exploded into this addiction that I have now. So are you, are you one of those guys that like, and like drank the Kool-Aid on the whole scent lock thing, like from start to finish, like a John Eberhart, or is it not as strong? I will tell people if you're not going to play the wind for like yourself, I, there's two different types of people. In my opinion, there's the people that will never hunt an area. If the wind's not correct, there's the people that are kind of like in the middle where they don't know anything. And then there's the other people that use scent lock that are like, Oh, I don't care about the wind. I'm kind of in the middle because I, I understand the wind. I understand thermals, but the difference is I use the wind in the buck's favor, not in mine. And what I mean that is a lot of people, when they like kill a big buck or say, oh, I'm going to go hunt down here. You'd be like, oh, the wind's wrong, but the wind's wrong for you, but it's right for him. So if I, the best thing that I can do is put myself in a good position where he's hopefully not going to smell me. So I try to cover it up the best I can. I, I use scent lock. Yes. Um, but I don't think that that's like a eliminates everything. Um, so I'm not drinking the Kool-Aid, but I use it, um, the best I can. And so my thing would, Oh, go ahead. You haven't bought a minivan yet to travel back and forth to hunt like John. No, I use an airtight tote and I use my Corolla. I've killed all my deer with the Corolla. So (laughs) I was a Honda civic guy for a long time. So I get it and understand it, Kyle. It's totally fine. Um, one of the things with scent lock, in my opinion, honestly, and I've talked to John too, we've had him on the podcast and had these conversations, but like, if you're going to scent lock, it's a hundred percent scent lock. It's not yep. you if you're going to scent lock, it's not just having a pair of scent lock pants. You need to oh, have no, the the hat, the mask, the gloves. You have to be covered head to toe in scent lock for that to to work properly in the manner that it's supposed to be working in with you know, as far as going down the minivan route, right? Like just in yeah. because scent lock is one of those things with that carbon inside of it that you have to be full-fledged. You can't have Huntworth on the top and Scentlock on the bottom. It just doesn't work like that. Like, you have to be full top to bottom. No, yeah, I, I am I am head to toe. Like, the only thing that I might not cover with the activated carbon is the gloves right. once I'm in the tree stand. Um, but that's, like, usually in the warmer weather. So, I mean, I have a top layer, a bottom layer. I have the hat with the sheath that comes over. Because mm-hmm. in, unless you're doing, like, the, the face paint, like, you need to have something covering your face um so obviously i i do the full scent lock thing i guess you could say i am a hundred percent in i just don't think that it's how do i say this the end all be all it's it's not a a cult i feel like you can kill deer in places like idaho i don't have to wear scent lock the deer retarded like if, excuse my language You're but fine. the deer like are are a lot more dumb than the northeast like they'll come right through the middle of a a cow pasture in the middle of the daytime and not even care. They're just rutting and stuff. Like we don't see that in new England where they're just running through fields during broad daylight. So are um, you saying that the people in the Midwest and the West have it a lot easier than we do here in the Northeast for quality? Of course. Yeah. Yeah. No, not quality. I was just saying, (laughs) no, it's the only, the only difference is the land. So everything there is leased or it's private where whitetails are. Same thing in the Midwest. It the hard part is understanding like the land access is limited, but there's bigger deer. Mm-hmm. So here, 
obviously it's different if a 200 inch deer or a six, six year old deer is going to be smart anywhere. But I'm saying like the bucks in general, like I didn't have to, I didn't have to really do anything. And I saw a deer, a buck every single night in Idaho. They say that shooting a 125 in the Northeast is like shooting a 180 in the Midwest. I would agree with that. I'd say probably more like 170, yeah. 165, but <laughs> yeah. It's one it, 180 is a good buck anywhere. Yeah, I know, but I'm just saying, like, you know, like, and I've always said this, like, if you take some hardcore big woods northeast dudes and you put them in the Midwest, like, the success rate, I think, would like, I would honestly put myself and a group of guys from the northeast against anybody in the Midwest, in my opinion. And I know that that's kind of bold and that's kind of crazy, but like, the way that we hunt and the way that we have to grind every single day to shoot a 125 here to then put ourselves out there to shoot a 140, you know, is like totally different and understanding the way that thermals work and the woods work. Like we have to put ourselves in a position to put ourselves to make ourselves successful here a little bit more than they do kind of in the Midwest. And I've hunted the Midwest and I understand it, you know, like there's a lot of like, peninsulas and ag so it's pretty simple like there's small wooden lots and this isn't everywhere dude this isn't everywhere this is just like like this is a blanket clause right where a lot of those areas that are trenches or or small fingers of woods like if those deer aren't in those woods go to the next finger where we might have to walk five miles to get to that next finger quote unquote where those deer might be or that next you know topographical feature where those deer might be like it's a little bit harder steve would you attest to that or i see the faces coming on that are like the biggest thing that i see in in combat is property lines so you might have a finger on your property but they're not there They're You can't do anything about the deer that are on the next property over the next property over. So a lot of times we're sitting, you know, you know, transition between bedding and feed or something like that. You might have the feed, you might have the bedding. You probably don't have both. You might not have either. And you're just sitting there waiting to try to catch them between yeah. parcels. You can't, you can't really, you don't have the ability to go to where the deer are. Exactly. You, you kind of have to like, catch them where you have the ability to catch them okay let me let me let me throw some some wrenches into this kyle you being in the northern part of the northeast where new hampshire massachusetts and maine are both trespassed states where you can go on any property unless it's posted so does that make it easier for you in terms of being able to cover ground sure but the quality is far worse for that reason there's a lot more land but it might not necessarily be quality so that that's why i'm saying the ability to access land is what's different so if you go to iowa it's all posted unless you know someone you can't get on a piece of property so it's a unless, money course, game at that public. point oh 100 here you just you have to grind to find a 125 there if i'm in another state if i spook a 125 it's not the end of the world there's another one a mile down the street here if I want a 150, there's only one within 15 miles or whatever. I got to mm. go far away to find another one. Right. That's kind of the difference that I've seen. Exactly. And if he's living on the neighbor's property, 90% of the time, yeah. you're just sitting in a tree on the property that you're on waiting for him that one day that he decides to come through the piece you can hunt. Mm-hmm. 
Exactly. Where no, the Midwest game is a money game. I mean, you can ask Josh Bomar himself. I don't know. <laughs> like, there's just hey. hey. <laughs> I'm I I'm not saying that he's a bad hunter. No, I, at all. Like, I love those guys, and I I think all the Midwest is great. I, it's just ability to access land. That's simply put. Like, mm-hmm. there's some places that have genetics. There's less hunting pressure. And that's why there's bigger bucks. You just need an age class. That's why Pennsylvania, the deer have gotten bigger over the years, especially on the private land, is because they have an antler restriction. So, well, bucks bucks per square mile is obviously higher. And also the size quality per square mile is obviously higher too, right? I mean, like, yeah, where we might have... Well, just for number six, five per square mile. They have ten per square mile, but those ten that are in square in that square mile are five of them are one twenty five and bigger. Where we have one of the five here are one twenty five or bigger, right? I mean, that yeah, would be maybe, maybe, right? Like one ten. I guess that's why. I guess that's why our Northeast Big Buck Club is one ten to be in the club, and where the Midwest is to be in the Ohio. Is that it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Northeast Big Buck Club, just to be registered in the Buck Club, is 110, bud. And it's 125 what? Pope and Young. Pope and Young's 125. Boone yeah. and Crockett's 160. Or 170. So, like, for example, Ohio Big Buck Club has to be 160 or better to be part of their book club. Where we're only 110. So, like, that probably has a lot to do with it, like, as far as... And there's even a difference from New Hampshire to Massachusetts, too. Let me be, like, honest about that, too. Like, New Hampshire, 100% 100 harder than Eastern Mass. Like, I can go to Eastern Mass and see a doe anytime I want. Like, like almost anytime I want in the suburbs. It's private land that I've knocked on doors and got permission. Right. But I, I could say I could see... Like this this season, I've seen more bucks than does in mass, really? just because there's a bigger population. There's just more of them. They might not be huge. They might be four corns or small eight pointers or whatever, but they're bigger than New Hampshire. Go ahead, Steve. The, you know, I know you got something of, to say. Sorry, Steve, I cut you off. No, 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 no. Not, well, I had a couple of things, but that's right. I, now that I think about it, though, like we've we've all e scouted like the Midwest, right? Like Trevor saying earlier. When you look down on a aerial photo, right, you have all that ag and then you have these little pockets of, of hardwoods and, you know, the deer can only be in so many places, right? Because they're not out in the middle of the field all day. So they have to be in these little blocks of timber, right? It's almost very similar to those suburban pockets. Like you're talking in Eastern Mass, right? You have all these houses and all these neighborhoods with these little pockets of timber. So if you take... Uh, if you turn all those houses into ag field, it's almost like the Midwest, right? So like, that's what would make suburban hunting that much more easier because those deer are only in those little tiny pockets of timber between all these houses. So, but here, here's the main difference is how far they travel during the season. The core area of a buck in the Midwest. I know people that can hold a mature buck on 40 acres. You could never hold a buck in New Hampshire in in 40 acres mass maybe if you're lucky like the one that i hunted was very rare like moose had a small core range but most of the bucks that like i hunt in new hampshire travel six to eight miles because of lack of food 
I don't know if it is just the lack of food, because even in some like southern New Hampshire places where there is some ag, they still travel quite a bit. But maybe it has to do with the white oaks and right. them traveling right. from them past the red oaks, because they don't care about the red oaks, really. But You don't think so? Or so it's, if or there's it's hunting not, pressure, I don't know. You don't think that... Like and, and I and I agree with you, right? So as far as the red oaks, where white oaks are more of a prevalent area for them to be eating, like this time of year, like red oaks are a later time of the year. But if there's not any white oaks, are they eating their red oaks? Are they eating hickory nuts or beech um, nuts? Like what? What else are they eating? Because and the reason I ask this, and it's not, and it's not to put you on the spot or anything like this, right, Kyle? Like. Oh, I don't mind. There yeah. was a there was a property that I've been hunting, and all it is is red oaks. There's hickories there, and I, but the ground is tore up. Are they eating the red oaks, or are they eating something else that's there that I'm not seeing? Is the ground tore up because they're getting in the mood, or is it getting torn up because they're eating the red oaks, though? It looks like they're eating the red oaks. Are there like a bunch? It's hard to determine between like squirrels right. and obviously like. Well, the I know that it's them, deer but... because they're going into there. I'm watching them oh, go okay. into this this red oak gotcha. flat. Yeah, it also depends on the red oak tree. So like everything's okay. not equal. So a lot of them, you open them up and they're rotten inside. Mm-hmm. So many years, especially this year in particular, I'm going past red oaks and opening them up, and they're like completely worthless. And we always hear, oh, they're bitter and the deer don't like them as much. It's like, of course, if there's like a little snack, yeah. But beech nuts and white oaks, obviously, they're going to eat those because they're a delicacy. I'd say majority of the food that they eat is browse, of course. So not just the white oaks. Um, So that answers your other question for like, what are other things? And then if you get into the mass or the some places in southern New Hampshire, you have ryegrass. You have pumpkin patches, apple trees. Um, in Maine, on the island that I went to, there's crab apple trees. It, every food source is kind of different, but I don't, I don't know if that answered your question. But I, no, I, I think did, they for still sure. eat the red oaks. Me too. Uh, I think that you know one of the things that I've learned over the years is that the reason they don't eat them is because their body can't break them down because of the acid, right? That's what they're saying. Yeah. It has to do with tannins. Tannins, that's and what right, I meant. What they yeah. dye, what they dye coffee with, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Right. So the red oaks, I or think, are, uh, I'm kind of bullshitting and making this up, but from what I can remember off the top of my head, the red oaks are higher in tannins, and the white oaks are not. So it's almost like the white oaks are like ready to eat right away. So they, I've they, heard the know, same. Digest them and get the nutrients out of the white oaks. Where like the red oaks, I think they almost have to like sit on the ground a little bit longer or something Break like that. Break down so, the tannins in them, I guess. That's why they'll walk past the red oaks to get to the white. Mm. Could I'm also wrong. also pretty sure the red oaks take multiple years to grow and drop, and white oaks they grow every year. Correct. Could be wrong, but that's what I'm pretty sure. I don't know. We need young Jamie to fact check that for us, but yeah. we don't have. From Joe Rogan. We take Jamie from us. Like, hey, hey, Jamie, can you look that up? <laughs> Jamie, look that up. <laughs> I would love that. That would be the greatest thing in the world, right? Well, Kyle, now that we... Hey, we... hey Jamie, can you Google that for me? <laughs> I can't do a Joe Rogan impression. No. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. 
<laughs> All right, Kyle. We've done enough of the business stuff, dude. Break it down for us, man. You've had one of the probably one of the best Northeast seasons I've seen thus far. And let's be honest. Um, starting off in Maine, Mass, New Hampshire, back to Mass. So why don't you lay it down, man, season. Let's start it from the beginning, how you found some of these deer and how you ended up making yourself successful and putting yourself in the position to be successful this season. Yeah, man, I <laughs> I don't know about that. I'm sure there's people that have a lot more successful seasons. They just don't uh, post it on social media. Um, I think that's a very finite thing is like some people don't post, some people do. So. <laughs> I, I also Hold on, Kyle. Hurt. Time out. Who? Yo, um, John Eberhart and um, Dan Infault. Dan Infault. Them boys. They don't post on social media. Fuck. I can't think of their names right now. We did this last time. I am so sorry. They, they're New Hampshire John, boys, also. Huh? Can't, oh, Jesus Christ. Oh man, per, they're Out gonna kill us. God. Yeah, get like. <laughs> On the spot. Yeah, but anyways, those guys have killed numerous. They've been on Hunt Suburbia. Do you know who we're talking about? Um, we're talking about Isaac Young and Nate Corey or them? No, they're older gentlemen. Um, Ken? I don't know. Ken and... Anyways, we'll go on. But anyways, those guys have killed like 200 and something deer in the Northeast. And probably, they're probably shot 25 this year. And they haven't even posted on the internet. But go ahead. Go on with yourself. I'm sorry, Kyle. <laughs> if I didn't if I didn't pass 18 bucks for every one big one, I'd have a million deer on the ground. But I'm a little picky, to be honest with you. But <laughs> That's like, good, though. I passed one four times this season that everybody's pissed at me because I passed him. He's like a seven point. That's like 19 inches wide. But I think he's a, a three and a half or four year old deer that has a lot of potential. He just doesn't have very long tines. But anyway, so the main buck, um, there wasn't a crazy amount of skill. Um, my buddy basically lived out on this unknown Island that I won't say to ruin it for everyone, but it gets a lot of hunting pressure and it's the same thing with access. Everything's really posted. If you, um, if it's not posted, you can hunt it. Um, but there's a lot of deer per square mile on the, the main islands. Um, and that buck, we had known about him. We had, I had trail camera photos of him. And there's a lot bigger one out on an island off of the main island. But this one was basically chilling in this lady's backyard, hitting a primary scrape area. So I sat on a saddle. Um, in a hang on tree stand um, and he came through the night that I wanted him to so three days before on Instagram I said hey the new moon is on the 14th <laughs> and then hopefully I'll give him three days before or three days after and it was three days before on the 11th and that's when he came out like 45 minutes before sunset and uh, shot him watched him everything hanging out right behind his shoulder bedded down, tried to get up again, stumbled, did the wobble, sat down, and then uh, went and found him in the morning. So, Jeez. And what, but what made yourself successful? But where did you, did you put yourself in a certain area that you knew he had been frequenting or what was kind of putting, what, what, what'd you do to put yourself in the position to be able to be successful? Um, I just stayed mobile. That one, honestly, was just it was really easy because it was September 11th. So he was still in a bed to food pattern. So there wasn't much skill to that one. It was just, he was doing the same thing. It was just a matter of not spooking him because 
since they get so much hunting pressure, they get bumped around a bunch. Um, so that's that one wasn't really special by any means. I just set up on the edge of the bedding area and some thick crap on a saddle where I knew the thermals would blow over him because I knew if he he would side hill mm-hmm. um, this and I would sit up on the ridge and it basically drops off and he would come up it so I knew my scent would go over the top. But yeah. There's nothing that wrong one, with that, man. It was success. Yeah. Success is success. Yeah. Which was a, it was a great buck by by all yeah. means. Yeah, it was my third spot that day. So I was moving around because the mosquitoes were terrible. This was before I had a thermosel. And I also believe that deer can smell that. So that's a whole nother story. Um, but I was getting bitten alive at one spot um, that morning. And I was like, oh, I'm going to move spots. Went to the next spot. And then I saw like a six point and a small eight point in velvet. And then I went back to this spot in the afternoon. And that's when I killed the the big one. So you actually moved yourself around that much? Yeah, that one day. Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. So normally so, I don't fling around like that. But you don't? No. No, I mean I am mobile. All right, but a couple of. If if I'm moving spots, like even sometimes, like if I'll I'll spook deer, I'll still go to a similar spot. I'll just set up a little bit differently in a different tree. I almost mm-hmm. never sit the same tree unless it's like I have some spots that are like. If the deer want to smell me, there's no way. Like I had a doe go back and forth 16 times because she saw me visually like in a tree, but she didn't know what I was and she couldn't smell me. She went downwind, went around the whole ridge and still didn't know what I was like just because she's I get pissed. I had one do that to me a couple of weeks ago. It's it's actually yeah. funny. Um, well, Give me a time frame on these moves. So it's September 11th. That's early season. So yep. you, you, you went in in the dark, I would imagine? So for, for this one, yeah, I went in in the morning, but I didn't kill him till the afternoon. Right. So what, yeah. what, what time was your first tear down and move? Okay, let's see. So my first tear down move was probably 8 o'clock. Okay. Um, and then from like 8 to 11, or no, 8 to 12, I went back to the, yep. the house or whatever. Okay. And then I went back out from like 12 to 2.30, and I was like, okay, this is ridiculous. I was hunting a swamp edge, and it's just like, I mean, I, I counted 48 bug bites on my arms, and I'm like, and that was with my like thick clothes on. I'm like, nope, it was probably 75 degrees. I'm like, this is ridiculous. Um, So then the hurricane was also coming. Well, hurricane yeah. <laughs> yeah. at the time in Maine. Um, so it was literally two days before that hit. So I was like, okay, you know what? They're going to be on their feet. I knew he was going to be moving earlier than normal. So I'm like, I have nothing to lose. Let me just go hunt this saddle and hope he comes to this, uh, scrape on the edge of his bedding area. And luckily enough, he, he came out and I just see these antlers shimmer and I was like, holy crap. (laughs) And then he, uh, he came in, he actually, put his feet out like it. I don't know if you know, like dog stretch and like yawn, he put his mm-hmm. two feet out and he had piebald feet. So like the, I, that's the first thing I noticed about him. Um, he like put his white socks out and he was like stretching and he didn't like something. Cause I was so pissed about the bugs. I was like, screw it. And I sprayed some bug spray in my neck and he smelled that like hundred percent. Cause it went right down um, to where like the shooting lane was. And I was like, crap. So then he tried to circle up around me to get my wind of what I was. 
So he starts circling down, and I had this set up where I knew if a buck tried to go downwind, I'd have a 20-yard shot anyways. So I had one little shooting lane, and I just went right through him. So That's awesome. Hell yeah. Well, he's down. That was a good buck. Yeah, yeah. He's a stud, especially Maine. Maine's a tough state, dude. Like, that's not an easy state yeah. to be killing that class of deer. I mean, that's a beautiful buck. Yeah, it's it's hard to get a big buck in Maine. I'd say, like, unless you're in, like, northern Maine, like, obviously, you get, like, the 230-pound weight and stuff. Like, this buck was maybe 150 pounds. Really? Like, he was so light. Yeah. Like, they For just Maine, don't get big good. on... On oh, the it's island, island, it's because it's an island. So that's the difference is there's a lot of deer and like, there's a lot of big caliber of deer. Like there's like a 160 my buddy's after on like one of the islands off of some main islands. Like there's, there's just big deer there. I don't know if it's the genetics. There's a lot of apples and different things they can feed on. Um, they even sometimes will like eat the seaweed, like the main state record had yeah. erosion from its antlers from like eating seaweed and like going in the ocean all the time. They'll swim miles, like even up at Lake Winnipesaukee with like the just hunt club, like those deer will swim across big lakes mm-hmm. all the time. Look at block Island. They, they're, they're on block Island. They're on Nantucket. They're on all of these places and they see them on the beach all the time. And one of the things, I mean, my opinion, right? Like them being down in the sand or on the ocean, then now it's salt, which is minerals, which that's why a lot of these islands, you know, there's a lot of them plum Island. Um, I won't name all of them because I, they don't need to get recognition here on the podcast, oh, but Nantucket block Island, stuff like that. Like, like there's big antler deer because they're they're down getting these minerals and then growing these giant antlers from the ocean, right? Um, real quick, it was um, Jim Gallagher and um, oh yeah, Keith, Jim, yep. Keith Keith Regan. Um, Keith, that's man. Sorry, Keith. Love Keith, you, bud. Keith and Jim, man, those guys are just absolute savage. We need to get them on the podcast. Um, yeah, they're they're good I dudes. Coming on now, we don't even know their names. Yeah, well, we did that before. <laughs> John Eberhart and and Dan Infault. They that's what I we call them. Right. I, I said Ken instead of Keith. Yeah, it's Keith and we're, Keith and Jim. Oh, uh, it just came to me. Um, great, you, great dudes. Jamie, what's that? Would you do text Young Jamie? No, I didn't text. Yeah, I did. I texted Young Jamie. <laughs> Jamie, can you read this one for me, bud? Uh, reach this out. So, but anyways, so the main buck's down, dude. Now we're into mass. So take us through mass and and how that went and incurred. Oh man, so this buck I had, I've never worked harder for a deer in my life. Like especially like one specific deer. I chased a New Hampshire state record one that was like top ten all time. And that was the biggest buck that I've ever chased. I had six encounters in person with that deer. But this deer, like, I had probably 800 trail camera photos of him. Um, This is my first year running cell cameras. And that was, like, a huge help to know that he was consistently coming in. Um, And it was in a suburban area. So I I knocked, like, 80-something doors and tried to get all these different spots. And I ended up getting, like, 20 or 30 of them. And a lot of the places that said no to me, I'm like, well, if I get one, can I drag it through your property or go search if I get one? And they were like, yeah, that's fine. And some of the places where you can get around like the 500 feet rule. So for anyone that's listening that doesn't know, you have to be a certain distance from a house. So you can't pull a seek one and be shooting with a bow from a backyard. Um, you just, you can't do it unless you have permission. Like if you're far enough away from someone else's house and that's Massachusetts is, has a 500 foot, even if you're yeah. bow hunting. Okay. 
Because Connecticut, yeah. we don't. We ha- we don't have a 500-foot rule. Oh, really? Unless you're, unless you're discharging a firearm. So I can literally be in your <laughs> backyard. I can be in the tree that's next to your green grass, and I can shoot a deer. So really? if public land abuts your backyard, I can be in the tree that is on the line. As long as I'm shooting back onto public land, there is no distance from from an occupied dwelling with a bow and arrow. Only with a gun. That's crazy. Yep. I think it's crazy. You got to be 500 feet from a house to yeah, shoot a bow. It, it, ma- it makes it super makes it super hard. It's just because they're all liberal. That's the, mm-hmm. the main difference. A lot of mass Western mass people are understanding of hunting and all that stuff. But like, I have to work really hard to get hunting permission from people that are like vegans and stuff. Like that, just I have to work exceptionally hard to do that. And I work in sales, so I don't mind <laughs> doing Talking. that by any means and going to talk to strangers. So. You just have to give them clear expectations because you're a stranger. You've never met them. So I try to build trust with them and do different things before. Sometimes I don't even ask hunting permission at first. But So what do you anyway, do? So, yeah, I was going to say, why don't, why don't you dive into that a little bit deeper for personal uh, okay. reasons and for the listeners. <laughs> well, I, I, won't, I won't give away all my secrets. But um, one of the things I'll do is like when I'm – say if I – okay, so I found this buck. So I found this buck. I was driving around, saw him in a field. Um, and then I found him again in someone's backyard. All this land is landlocked, like you said, 500 feet for me. I have to be around from someone's house. So because of that rule, the way to get around it is you get permission from multiple houses within that, and then you're fine. Then you could hunt from someone's backyard if you wanted. That's the difference, but you have to have written permission based on the bylaws of each town. So when I try to get hunting permission, I'll either ask to put up a trail camera Usually people are a little bit scared about that. You have to give them clear expectations. I'm going to point it away from your house. They just don't want surveillance on their property. So reading the situation, I determined that. Another thing I'll do is I'll be like, hey, I'll cut your grass with your own lawnmower, different things like that. So I I have the time to like do chores for people if I really need it. But that's only if I know a buck's in that area. I don't waste my time doing that by any means. I'll do wildlife photography. I also work for a pest company in the summertime, so I can be like, hey, we can do pest control for you, and I'll give you a good deal. Um, I know plumbers that do the same thing, that do like work for people to get permission to hunting properties. Um, there's many different ways, but I got permission long before I worked when I was in, like when I was 18, just knocking doors. Um, but one of the main ways that I do is like name, name dropping people I know in the area from talking to them and getting permission. So once you get one, it makes it a heck of a lot easier. And even if you don't get permission from them, just be like, hey, I was just talking to Jimmy down the street, say his name, say they didn't give me permission or I talked to them and they're thinking about it. They're going to get back to me, but I just wanted to talk to you um, about hunting. And then I'll just kind of do that. Most of the time I don't bring up hunting. I'll just talk about myself and kind of like who I am as a person and gain trust. Because if you just say like, Hey, I was just wondering, can I like hunt on your property and kind of like kill a deer and stuff like that? They're going to be like, what the F are you doing on my property? Like go away. So I don't, there's not necessarily, I don't know. I kind of just sell myself and try to be a good person instead of just shoving hunting down their throat, if that makes sense. So sometimes that takes time. Like I'll, I'll just go introduce myself to someone I won't even ask for hunting permission. I'll go back a month later or a week later. I'll be like, hey, I saw you're outside. Like, um, just wanted to say hi to you and talk to you. Start talking again. Then bring up the trail camera. Then bring up something else. Or like, 
oh, do you mind if I shed hunt your property? I might never put a trail camera and never shed hunt there, but at least I got permission from that. If I want to gun hunt a property, I will never ask to gun hunt. I will ask to bow hunt first, even if I never do there, and then I will ask to gun hunt because people don't want to just let you on with a weapon. So, like, I I do it over a timeline usually unless I know a buck's there and I, it's a new buck that I find out about. And it so. means business at that point. Yeah, then I'm then I'm straight to the point. Like, I had a lady tell me, this this is a cool story and this is how I we get to the mass buck later the second one um so I knock on this guy's door and he was like yeah like I don't mind like if you hunt or whatever and I was like oh sweet and then I see the wife start creeping out from behind the door and she's like what is he asking about because he said yes before like asking her and the number one thing you don't want is to like create bad blood between them so I just made a joke to him I was like oh I'm not here to like stab your wife in the back like i i don't want any bad blood just deer blood and just make them laugh like that just like a joke and then i was like yeah so i i don't want to like create any problems between you two i'll I'll just tell you what's going on and i was like if you just want to come out on the deck so i like called her out of her own home and was just confident about it and i was like yeah so i'm just gonna go hunting back on your property and i understand nobody likes trespassers nobody wants people just walking on their land so that's why i come and i'm respectful and i want to talk to you guys and usually when you do that they're like whoa and then half the meat that i get in mass i usually donate like hunters for the hungry or like to soup kitchens so like i can push on that if i need to and then they're like oh okay you're not just hunting for the antlers and then this is the biggest thing i say i don't shoot does or does and fawns because i know there's big bucks in this area so i was like i won't shoot does or fawns i'm just going after a couple big bucks in this case for the moose buck i was like i just want to hunt that one deer and they were like oh just that one deer okay and seek one does the same thing so if you say that and you stick to that you're you're likely to get your foot in the door on more properties she said no i don't want you to hunt we'll get back to you i was like yeah this is kind of just like a a timely thing i i spend a lot of time coming out here um so i'm just trying to get a response um do you mind if i and then i talk about myself she's like starts thinking about it and then i brought it up one more time for like to try to close her and she's like yeah that's fine here's my phone number i'm like sure i'll text you every time i come (laughs) and it was a win yeah And that was like one of the biggest properties I needed to harvest the buck. So that's crazy. See, Steve, we got to grow a set of cojones, bro. We need, you know what? We're just going to get Kyle. We're going to call Kyle. Kyle, come down to Connecticut. I need you to just kind of schmooze over these old ladies just so we can go kill this buck. You can shoot our number three. We're going to shoot one and two. You can have three. All right, Kyle? Uh, I've actually had people offer for me to do that. Funny enough. (laughs) You can start your own business. You can just be like a business agent. Yeah. I don't want to be that guy that started that mass suburb business. What is it? There's some like Boston bow hunting company. This guy did the same thing that I do and got like a list of permissions, but then he would like sell them to people that were part of his club to let people on permissions and stuff. And I guess it got like a whole bad name and stuff. And I just, I don't want to have to deal with that. Oh, I got you. All right. So take us through this mass buck. This, the first mass buck, because we have a lot to go here. Yeah, so I don't know what your time, wh- you how long do you want me to make it? Oh, You're okay. fine. Trevor will get a little grumpy. You'll know when he gets tired. Yeah, so this buck, I was driving, scouting different fields, and that's not something I would have ever done before in the past. Um, but there was one ag field that I sat at 
sunset probably springtime, like late spring. So they're starting to grow nubs and there had to be like 15 bucks in this field. Like I'm not even kidding. Like I've never seen 15 bucks in new England ever together. Like that just doesn't happen. Um, and there happened to be in this one field. So I'm like, okay, there's a huge population of deer down there. And I originally found out about the town through a Facebook page. They were posting a bunch of big deer in the past um, on it. So I was like, okay, I know this town has a lot of deer. I'm, I'm just going to go from there. And that's one way that I'll find places as I'll look up people's last names on like Facebook pages and on X and then find their addresses and then go knock on their neighbor's doors. Cause they're usually a Karen and love the deer. So I usually knock their neighbors instead. <laughs> um, but I found this deer and I was just driving around. I was like, holy crap, this is huge. And then I filmed him like throughout the summer. Like I didn't post this on my YouTube that's coming up or other things. Cause I want to keep the area close to me because there's another big one there. Um, but I was just like, this buck is huge. I need to find out where he's going to be. Cause I know as soon as he sheds his velvet, he's going to skedaddle. So about July, June, July, I filmed him August. I saw a shift. All the deer disappeared from the field. Everybody knew about this field. I mean, people would be lined up with their cars, like deer watchers, like people, hunters would like watch these deer. So I went down the road about a mile and I drove down this lady's long driveway. So like, you have to have balls to do this because my parents are like other people would be like freaked out to drive down some private driveway. And it, they all say no trespassing, but I'm just, I just drove down it and I knock on the person's door. I'm like, Hey, um, I want to get permission. And before I knock on the door, I look up on the hill of their private property and I see the buck with another eight pointer. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, that's where he's been hiding. I'm a mile and a half from where I saw him originally. I never, never even thought that it was the same bucket first. And then I looked back at film after I asked that person, the person says, no, I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. So then I go to all their neighbors and that's when I start going haywire, knocking doors, getting access. Even if people wouldn't give me access to their property, this town didn't have a bylaw for like, you couldn't hunt on unposted land. So that was a benefit is I'd be like, Hey, can I cut through your property to go hunt these woods? And it was literally, how would I explain this? It's like a 300 yard stretch. And I got access to cut from this cul-de-sac that was on private land to the woods and there were scrapes everywhere there was licking branches and scrapes and normally i don't care about scrapes because they're usually secondary scrapes that are useless to hunt over but this was just tore up and i mean some of like one of them was like a car door sized scrape and i'm like okay this is being used i'm gonna put a camera here like immediately so I scouted it and then there's a swamp down on the other side of the hill. And, and I mean, I'm in a neighborhood. So like, I'm like right at the legal limit of like distance wise from houses. And in the swamp, I could tell there's beds and stuff. There wasn't crazy amount of sign that I wanted, but I was like, Hey, I know he's here. This is where I need to be. Um, and probably 600 yards from the private land I was on, there was tree stands everywhere because there was some unposted private that was a big chunk of woods. But I knew this buck wasn't going to walk through there because it's a wide open oak flat where there's, there. I think there was eight tree stands and maybe 500 yard stretch. So I mean these deer were getting pressured like crazy, just not where I was. 
So I, I found a bunch of hot white oaks and where those, the primary scrape area was. And I found out they're bedding right next to this main road down in like kind of a ditch. And I was like, that's a really weird place for them to bed. But it's, I mean, it's a main road. They would get hit if they ran that way, but they would just come up the hill the other way to get to the primary scrape. And I mean, it wasn't a big chunk of land. It was just in between two fields and all the houses and people's backyards. So it was kind of, it was kind of a funnel, a pinch point, a primary scrape area and a white oak area. So it's perfect. There's food bedding, anything they need water. Um, so I set up there the opening day um, after getting all these trail camera photos, I was getting photos at 6.45 a.m., 2 a.m., 4 a.m., uh, 3 p.m. When do you see a mature buck at 3 p.m.? I don't get them on my trail cameras very often at 3 p.m., but he was showing up consistently. So I'm like, okay, he's there. I'm going to keep being patient for opening day. New Hampshire opens. I go to Maine. Then I go to New Hampshire. New Hampshire, I don't kill anything. I'm just waiting for a bigger one. Then I opening day, I go in two or three hours before sunrise. Cause I'm like, sometimes he's in there way earlier from sunrise and I just want to get in there. So I don't spook him. So I left my house at like 3am. I got in at like five and I think sunrise was at seven or whatever it was um, set up and it was the full moon. So it's three days after the full moon, I think was October 2nd. So that was the opening um, so I'm like, if he's going to be moving, today's the day. Four corn came out, then an eight pointer came out. Um, and people would say, I'm crazy to pass the eight pointer, but I knew that they were in the same bachelor group. And then he just walks, starts walking. And I just see the giant rack come out and just chocolatey horns. I'm like, oh gosh, here he comes. So I'm panicking. I, I get my bow out and I try to get my camera the best I can on him. And I'm like, meh, meh, meh. And he's almost down the hill. So I'm angling down, he's quartering away and I let it fly. And I see it bury quartering away from here. I figured I hit the opposite shoulder, but like I shot pretty far back on purpose cause he was quartering. And I was like, Oh, I don't know if it was a good shot, but I saw 31 inches of penetration. Like they went all the way to the fletching. So I'm like, he's got an arrow in him. I didn't got down, didn't find an arrow. I immediately backed out. I was like, there's not going to be a blood trail if the arrow's still in him. So I started to panic. I was like, oh, I'll give him 12 hours because I thought I like gut shot him. And of course, on the opening day of mass this year and why most people haven't had success, it was like 80 degrees that day. It's came off of like 40 degree lows to like 85 degrees. Um, so I'm like, okay, the deer is going to go bad. What the frick? So I went back like five hours, six hours later found the arrow. It was a pass through, which I didn't think it was, but it was. And then a hundred yards later, I found him. And that's kind of the reaction you guys, my genuine reaction of what I saw. So that's wild. Like and and this deer, this deer was all of 220 pounds, like easy. Jesus Christ. And you worked real hard to kill this deer. I mean like that, that's no joke. Like it, trying to get that granting that permission. And after that deer and that's, I mean, that's, that's no joke. That's awesome. Yeah. It was an emotional process because people would say, Oh, you got on opening day. That's easy. <laughs> that journey started long before I've never gone in that many times, like freshen up scrapes with like my pee and like move the, the stuff. Like I just 
I worked really hard to that. And I want, and I didn't put all my cookies in one jar because I didn't think he would stay there. Like after that week, most of the other bucks moved out of there. So I'm glad I caught him at the time. That I was did. his zone. Yeah. Like he was in there at least once a day. So he didn't go far. <clears throat> did he hit no. that scrape that morning? I, I didn't let him get there. Well, okay. But he was heading towards it. Yeah. I mean, they're all heading towards it. Yeah. That was just that that community Nor- scrape and yeah. Normally, like they would feed on the white oaks where I was in the afternoon, and then hit the scrape. So most of my scrape activity and when I hunt scrapes is the afternoon. But that morning, because of like the big change in temperature, they were on their feet. Even though it was getting hotter, they wanted to get up early and get up there. And I I believe it was the three days after the full moon. That's why he was moving. Um, earlier than normal, but he came right in and 6.50 or 7 a.m. and popped him. So, so that's the mass, and then now New Hampshire. Yep. So the New Hampshire was a public land deer. I, I passed that deer like three or four times. He wasn't very big. I was, I've been after 150-inch 12-point, but he's in the big woods, so I'm letting him rest because I don't have a core area. I mean, the deer moves eight miles like every other day, like people have sheds of him and photos of him super far away. He just moves a bunch. So I don't have him tracked down. So I'm going to hunt him in muzzleloader gun season. Cause I don't really gun hunt, but this year I really want to try to get after it. So and track. Yeah. So not necessarily just tracking, but just like going at, still hunting with a muzzleloader. Cause mm-hmm. we don't usually get snow that right. early in the season, but who so knows? we'll see. So let's tear right into the second mass deer because that's that's kind of crazy and there's a lot of trials and tribulations to this yeah. whole hunt and let's kind of play this back uh, kind of uh, step by step. Yeah, so I found this deer the same way um, driving through the suburbs. Um, I've hunted this particular town in years past, so I knew somewhat where deer were located. Um, but I was driving down this road and I just see a velvet rack that's 20 inches wide. And I'm like, holy mother, like that thing's got a huge frame. It's tines weren't huge, but I was like, holy crap. And I, then I started to do the same thing. I knocked a million doors, tried to get permission. And this one lady had 40 acres out of the suburbs, which is a lot of land. So I knew the deer would be pretty focused on there. I tried to work her wine and dine her, her family's basically lived there for 200 years and she's like oh i don't really want to but her her daughter said yes but but then she came back to me i was like my mom doesn't want to so maybe when she dies which won't be too long she's like 85 (laughs) maybe once she (laughs) maybe once she passes i'll be able to get god rest her soul but i'm hanging a tree stand right here (laughs) (laughs) yeah so i mean I, I scouted on the properties I got permission adjacent to hers and I bumped like 125, 130 inch nine point. And then um, there's a bunch of different bucks on there. There's two big ones and the rest are small um, and a couple does. And that place is lit up right now. Like there's scrapes everywhere. So I went back there as my first sit as well. Your first sit's always your best sit. So mm-hmm. I went there and I was like, Okay, I haven't scouted here a bunch, but I knew the deer was there. I didn't put in a trail camera because I didn't want to spook them. I just figured I'd let it sit. So October 16th is in zone nine. That's when it opens is opening day. So I went in there at night and it was supposed to rain all night, 
but then stop at sunset. So I'm like, okay, obviously a buck wants to freshen up his scrape after the rain ends. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to do that. And this was also three days directly after the new moon. New moon was the 13th. This was the 16th. Again, I thought that would be a good good time to go because I know a lot of people have had their biggest bucks on those days in between those one, two, or three days after or before a new moon. So I went in there, set up on the scrape, and then I'm on my phone while it's pouring rain and I'm talking to the bow hunt mask guy, Eric. He's like, you need to post this moose buck on Instagram so I can post it. And Great I was like, impression, by the way. Oh, <laughs> Poor Eric. Eric's a diehard listener of the podcast too, so you're definitely gonna get shit for that. But just so you know, like he listens to every single episode. That's my boy. (laughs) No, I love him so much. But he was like, "You need to post it." I was like, "Dude, I'm trying. My fingers aren't even working. Like, uh, with how much rain was pouring on me." And then I look up, and there's like a a five point out in front of me, and I'm like. Gosh dang it, Eric. Like I'm I'm too worried about making like a bio for this deer, like the explanation of the story. And then I was like, I texted him, I'm like, Eric, I'm putting the phone away. <laughs> so right after I did that, like 15 minutes later, another buck came out. Um, this is still pouring rain. So it's like an hour and a half before sunset. I'm like, what the heck are these deer doing up so early? But they both made their way out to this private field. Um and it's just ryegrass. It's a cattle farm. It's not like it, there's no like special ag or food. Um, and then I just hear, and I'm like, oh crap. And if behind me, I look to my left, I just see this big rack of tines come through and rake a tree. So I'm like, okay, start getting my, my tree arms crappy. It's like a real tree arm. And I lean it around. But of course that day I used a lens that was way too big. It was like the 200 millimeter or whatever. And I didn't have my other one. So I'm zoomed all the way out. Even with that, it's like zoomed in close to the ground. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. And of course that day I was lazy and I didn't set up a GoPro or a secondary angle. I'm, I'm a hunter first, not a photographer. Um, so the buck comes in and the buck doesn't hit the primary scrape I was hunting, but he makes another one behind me. He's at this point, he's at eight yards. So I'm pissing my pants, seeing this giant thing, just shovel leaves in dirt behind him. And the camera is just like making a bunch of noise and he's not noticing cause he's all rutted up. So he gets to a certain point on this rock wall crossing. That's like, if he crosses, then I can shoot him. So he crosses the rock wall at like five yards. I'm getting all my bow ready, trying to worry too much about getting it on film. And then he starts walking directly away from me. I set up almost too much on the trail. So it was kind of like he was facing towards me, quartering. I had a shot, but I was trying to get on film, which is the biggest mistake I've made this season. And he keeps walking, but he's quartering away. So he gets behind like a beech tree where one of the scrapes is and is about to hit it. So I, I stop him and I try to get the camera as close as I can and I pull back my bow and at this point he's at 20 yards because he's walked away from me and he turns towards me and I and I just pull and I'm like rah, 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 pull back and you hear a thwack on video and I'm like this is the first year I've ever had target panic where I don't know where I hit him so I started I my first impression was I missed 
That was the first thought I, I had. And then I go down to the ground. I had a Luminoc, but for some reason after I shot it, it turned off. So I thought the arrow was in the deer. I was like, okay, this is weird. The arrow's not there. I go down to the ground. It's buried up to the broadhead in the dirt. There's barely any blood on it. There's no arrow or blood on the fletching. So I start to panic. I'm like, what the heck? And where the deer ran off about 50 yards and then stood there and looked at me. So I'm like, oh, I probably missed him. I go to the, like, 50 yards away. Buckets of blood. I mean, like, one, two, three, four, five. Like, there was five big patches of, like, clotted red blood. And I was like, maybe I hit him in the leg or shoulder or liver. My first thought was liver because it was really dark. I was like, huh. But it was really, some of it was bright. So I was like, maybe it was a leg or something. And then I called my buddies. We tracked him later that evening, made it about 80 yards. He like crossed a log and there was like a speck left. And then I grid searched the next day for like six miles doing roundabouts and we never found him. So I, I honestly don't know where I hit, but I put a cell camera in there after I shot him in after hiking through all that, there there hasn't been a single deer on the camera. So it's, maybe he's done for the season. I mean, it hasn't even been a week since I shot him. It was like four days ago. But, Jeez. Yeah, so, that was pretty depressing. Yeah, you worked your butt off to try and get back in there and try and find him again. But you don't really have any type of, like, do you know where you think you hit him or? No. Oh, man. No, my my first impression was shoulder, but I, I honestly don't know. Like, that was because there were so many little branches in the way. I was kind of taking a risky shot because I was like, at the point where I was like, screw it, I already can't get it on film. When I easily could have had a shot with not filming it at five yards, and I was like, I'm never gonna put that first again because I the... did a disservice to the animal. What what do you think? What was kind of the reaction of the deer when you shot? Um, his tail was up, which was a bad sign. So he he jumped, probably like five trots, and then went behind this big uh, pine tree and just stood there. Mm-hmm. And I was like, huh. You j- usually, I've heard like if they jump off and then walk off, it's usually a gut shot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There was n- no guts or muscle on the arrow. But it must have been a pass through, right? Because there's some blood on right. it, and there was a blood trail, and it was into the ground. So I'm like, either I, I... If it was just straight muscle, and and that's what it, what it could have been. I was like, well, it probably wasn't the back strap or the bottom because there would have been hair. There's no hair. Hmm. So I don't it, know. I I pride myself on being a good tracker, and I just I we couldn't find him. So I think he's alive. But. I mean, that's part of it, man. If anybody that says that. They, you know, that hasn't put, you know, that hasn't put a bad shot on a deer, hasn't hunted enough. And that's the truth. I mean, like, these things happen. This is, this is, this is part of the game, you know? Yeah. And I, I think I've shot, like, in the four years of hunting, like, 16 or 18 deer, and I've never lost one. And that was just depressing for me. I just, I felt so bad for the deer and also mad at myself that I tried to film, like, I hate when people say like, oh, you're kind of a YouTuber and that's what you, your job is to do. Like one of my buddies literally said like, oh, well, that's your job is to film. And like, no, it isn't. This is a hobby. 
this is my my love and i i love filming for like my future family and for the family i have now like that's i do it because it's it's fun but man it just it hurt to when i had a five yard shot broadside and i didn't take it because the camera wouldn't go there and Mm -hmm. I had already done that for moose kind of, and for the main one. So I already felt bad to kind of my viewers and myself that I didn't get on film, but the New Hampshire one, that one turned out perfect and got like 230,000 views on Instagram reels. Cause the Luminoc went right through him and he died 70 yards from a heart shot. So like, that was cool. But of course it doesn't work like that the way you want with a big buck. They come in when you're not expecting it from the wrong side of the tree where your arm is and, it's just yeah it was it sucks but it's a long season i don't i mean i we haven't even hit the rut so i mean well oh i will say this though you said there was a buckets of coagulated blood say that again you you said a lot of the blood was already already clumped up and coagulated uh not necessarily like there was just a little bit of like a black clotted like okay. mix, but like the first impression was like they was painted on the leaves, like the mm. first couple. Uh, I, I might, maybe I misheard you, but I was thinking back to the podcast we did with Matt Berger on tracking. And I remember him saying that oh, a lot of times muscle blood is the one that clots mm. and coagulates on the leaves first. So mm, I'd like Could've to been. think that maybe it was a, a muscle hit. Um, he's fine. He's going to live and you're going to see him again later in the season. You know what I mean? Fingers crossed. Yeah. He, he's, he's like 120, 130 inch deer. So I'd love to, love to see him again. It's just, yeah, I felt bad. I just didn't want him to be dead. That right. was like the biggest and thing. And not be in able mass, to find him, you, right? Yeah. Uh, in mass, you can't use tracking dogs. Right. And then I was also in a town where you can't go over lines without getting written permission. So that made it a hundred times harder too. So I ended up getting permission from people to go check where he went. Um, and I went through a swamp, like up to my knees deep looking for him and just nothing. Well, hopefully he just shows up on camera, man. And it just, you, you get the play back and you just do it again. You know, there's, yeah. that's part of hunting, you know, like you'd hate to say it like that. And there's, you know, there's a lot of lost lost sleep in the nights of, of waiting and trying to find them and whatever the case may be, but that's all in the game. I mean, anybody, like I said, anybody that says that they haven't lost a deer hasn't hunted enough because it happens. It's part of the game, everything, especially with archery tackle. I mean, it's just the way that the cookie crumbles, man. And people, I just wish it was on a doe, not, (laughs) well, I don't (laughs) want it on any deer, but it just, a buck of a lifetime for so. So you're saying Sorry. just because it has antlers that it should have it do it? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's because he was mature. It has nothing to do with his antlers. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> well, you tell the landowners <laughs> that. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, that that was the one that I. I uh, oh, I didn't tell the landowners I injured a buck. I just. No, you. Or the la- the landowner that I had yeah. permission. I was. Yeah. It was, Nope, nope, I didn't want to tell him. Well, it is what it is, man, and you just wait and see what happens. Yeah. He'll show back up on camera, dude. You'll end up killing that deer, and it'll be just another story. You know, it's just a, it'll be part of the the chapters of the story. Yeah, Was I it still? Name, I don't name my deer as much. <laughs> like moose, that's the only one I'll name. Was it still raining when that happened? 
you said it was pouring that morning. Was it raining when he came in and the shot and all that stuff? So it was the afternoon. So it was pouring and then 30 minutes before sunset is when he came in and it was not at that time. It was just like drizzling. Yeah. So it's all in video, but. Yeah. What do you, how do you do your camera? How do you film in the rain? Put my hat over the camera. <laughs> I'm a I I'm not a photographer, dude. I just yeah. Well, yeah I, I, I just covered it up. A bag, so I call it my okay. camera. Condoms. There you go. Camera condoms. Yeah. yeah. Well, Kyle, I got one last question, man. Before we let you go, and it's been a sure. successful season for you, but we, I want to know what drives you outdoors. Not your Corolla. Well, I, Jesus Christ, I would say probably a religious <laughs> perspective. Like that's honestly the closest place I feel to God. And I know everybody's like, oh, I don't want a religious spiel, but I'm sorry. You're going to get it. That's just the way that I, I feel. I love using my platform for people to become closer to God because it did change my life. Hunting has changed my life. The outdoor drive for wanting to be in the woods has changed my life and gotten me out of a lot of situations where I think I'd, I would have lost my way. Um, if it weren't for go into that, man, I want to hear about it. Yeah. Um, it's not like I, I, I've had a bad life or anything, but I, I grew up religious and, um, a lot of my friend groups, like in high school and stuff decided to go other paths that weren't the best. So I had to basically say, Hey, I don't want to be friends with you guys anymore. And kind of just put myself away from that. Um, and hunting was like an outlet for me besides sports. Um, I've always played sports in high school and college and stuff. So that was one of my outlets, but hunting, hunting definitely, uh, drove that. I went through a breakup and got back surgery, hip surgery, different things that stopped me from doing things that I love and hunting's gotten me through all those as well. So for anyone that hasn't done it, that's listening. I'm sure you're already hunters, but if you haven't for years and you're listening to this podcast, just get outside, even if you're not hunting. I, I always thought to myself, would I come out in a tree stand and sit here even without a bow or a tag? And honestly, I think I would just to walk, like, it's just fun. You get the heart beating every time you see a deer, no matter if it's doe or not. And if you're not, you should probably quit hunting. No, I can, I can attest to that, man, where like, I think, you know, and I don't, I haven't really talked about this a lot in podcasts, but like. There's a lot of kids that I grew up with that, you know, either didn't make it or aren't doing so good for themselves um, because of, you know, like the times that we lived in, you know, the times of real bad drugs and so on and so forth. And we, we still deal with this a lot every single day. But like hunting and fishing changed my life and I could have went down a way worse path. I mean, a lot of the people that I hung around with we're not good people. I mean, that was just the way it is, but fishing was one of those outlets for me. And then slowly, as I started to get into my early teens, then it became hunting, obviously, because that's what the kind of thing that you did. You know, I wasn't, I played sports, but really wasn't my thing. Like I wanted to hunt and fish. So like, just like yourself, man, like it, it'll change you. It'll, and you know, and I say this a ton, like you see a lot of these young kids, like every day in guiding, see these young kids getting into it and I tell their parents all the time I mean like keep these kids in this because in this day and age like they need this this the outdoors is going to save those kids I promise you like and they really is and you know we see it on them you know we see it on the big scale because we're doing it now but they need it a little bit more than we do especially in today's day and age 
So and it, and it builds freezing your butt off in the woods. Like when I went turkey, I went turkey hunting when I was younger, and like I was freezing my butt off. Like it was just it was miserable. It'll but make a man so out of you, right? Because it's so hard. That's why we love it, right? Yep. Especially in New England, it's not easy. So, well, Kyle, man, I want to congratulate you on your season thus far, man. I know it's not over yet, and you're gonna keep driving on and that big buck's gonna end up coming back in massachusetts i got that feeling you're gonna kill that thing man and you know we can't thank you enough for jumping on with us and you know it we are interested to see the path that you end up getting with you know kb outdoors and all that stuff um can you just let everybody know kind of where they can find you if they want to go and follow along with you and what you got going on Yep, so it's just my initials, KBB Outdoors on Instagram. I think it's 2.0 because there was someone else that had it already. Um, and then I also have the Bows, Bros, and Bucks podcast, but I don't – I've been putting hunting first. That's more of an off-season thing. And then uh, my YouTube's just KBB Outdoors. So Awesome, man. Like I said, man, thank you. I appreciate it. Congrats on your season. And uh, for everyone else – Thanks for taking the ride right here on the Outdoor Drive.